You're about to hear my conversation with our fixed income strategist, Dustin Reed. We talk all about the probability of a stagflationary environment, how to think about positioning your portfolio, as well as what impacts that that type of environment may have within Canada, the US and Europe. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnurr, and I'm delighted to be back with Dustin Reed, who's our Chief Fixed Income Strategist. Dustin, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thanks very much for having me back. It's uh, fairly timely. It seems like it's always timely uh, these days to have a, a fixed income strategist on. Uh, but here we are. Uh, just two days ago, uh, the Bank of Canada decided to raise interest rates by 100 basis points, uh, sort of surprising the market who had expected 75. In either way, very hawkish. Uh, what do you make out of the, the actions out of the Bank of Canada? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's it's been uh, another wild few weeks, I think, since uh, since we connected here on this podcast, and uh, and obviously the BOC this week was a uh, a significant part of that. Uh, so yeah, so the bank did do a hundred. The uh, market was pricing seventy five. I think most people on the street were seventy five, and it was essentially fully priced. So the the hundred was definitely uh, an upside surprise, a hawkish surprise, you know, as as you would say. Um, so a few things popped out uh, from from the bank and the commentary, and this was this was a forecast meeting for the bank. Uh, so we got new new outlook projections, and there was right. the the same day press conference from uh, Governor Macklem and and senior, senior deputy Governor Rogers. Um, so just to step back for a sec, I think you know particularly within the G10 space, and we we've messaged us through a few mediums here, but it's very important for this. Central. There, if there's one thing that central banks will not stand for, it is for long-term inflation expectations becoming unanchored. Right. That will that will not stand. That will not stand. And that's above price stability, short-term price stability, or full employment, or growth, and all that stuff. Long-term inflation expectations becoming unglued is just not not happening. And in the Bank of Canada's decision this week, you clearly saw that that was becoming a concern for for council and probably the bank and the staff of the bank. And I think that's why you saw an outsized um, increase. And frankly, seventy five would have been pretty outsized as it is. And the bank sure. even went up, you know above and beyond above and beyond that to do to do a hundred. And there's there's a uh, there's some data that comes out. It's not overly well followed. It definitely will be from now on. But basically, a consumer expectations uh, survey that came out uh, about a week or two before before the bank decision, and it had a a five year inflation expectation uh, survey as part of it, and uh, it it jumped from three point two percent year over year to four percent year over year, um, and with the bank putting. Uh, you know, rightly or wrongly, a lot of emphasis on the output gap as as a driver of policy, which Bank Canada does. Um, right. Has for a long time. It was it was when I was there. It continues to do so. The bank thinks that the economy is not only operating above full capacity, but will continue to uh, operate above full capacity. So I'm I'm getting into all this weedy stuff to basically say, okay, here's the picture that the bank I think is seeing. Okay, long term inflation expectations were already high. 
now they're going higher. The economy is operating above full capacity, maybe going to accelerate even more. Um, you know, very, very tight labor market. You know, what, what, what are we doing here? What are we waiting for? And right. let's, let's start front loading rate hikes. Uh, and so I think that is, that's kind of the, 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 you know, kind of the inside baseball of, of where, of where I think the bank was thinking and, and what it wanted to do in the press conference. And, and I'm not a hundred percent on this, but I thought this was very interesting during the press conference. If you watched it live, there were comments around the housing market and in particular what the, what the bank thought about people that have variable rate mortgages. Cause uh, needless to say, a hundred basis points is not insignificant. Sure. I mean, it's already been a pretty significant move and another hundred basis points this week is not insignificant. Um, and the bank seemed to suggest that the percentage of households that have variable rate mortgages was not that big and was not a, a, a significant deal. I mean, the, the bank obviously did say, you know, those that got into housing and maybe extended themselves in the last year or two, right. you know, that's, that's, that's not great. Um, but the bank seemed to play down the impact of variable rate mortgages being a real uh, takeaway for the economy here. And so that is another, I think, uh, you know, right, right or wrong, and we'll see how that turns out. But that is another lens with which the bank, I think, was looking at this and saying, I think, I think we're okay. I think the economy is going to be okay. We can, we can afford, quote unquote, to to do a move of this size. And uh, so I think that's why we got the the hundred. And I mean, there are a lot of other things going on too, but kind of those are the two or three main kind of points I think the bank, the bank was looking at. And, um, you know, I, I do expect more. Um, the market's pricing um, about 360 or three, uh, 3.6 or 3.7% what, what we would call terminal rate. So end point in the cycle. Uh, banks at uh, two and a half now, which is basically in the middle of what it defines as its uh, neutral range for the economy, right. which is between two to three percent. So it's in the middle of a range. And I think the bank wants to clearly get above the top end of the range and probably a little bit more and maybe more than a little bit more. But uh, that's where the market's pricing right now. So there's definitely more to go on that on that front. Great. Um, you yeah, reference variable rate mortgages and just uh, the health of the consumer, I guess. And, and the whole um, idea behind these rate hikes is to cool inflation, cool demand uh, across the economy. Um, yep. Brings to mind recession risks. I mean, everybody For talks sure. about uh, the banks hiking into recession. Uh, we've yep. certainly heard about uh, the likelihood of recession, sort of uh, both in Canada, US and, and beyond Europe, et cetera. Um, right. What's your view on that? Do you think that we actually get to a recessionary environment off the back of central bank actions. So I think that uh, the, the idea of a soft landing or at least negotiating maybe a soft landing is going to be very difficult. And even in the last 30 days, I think it's become more challenging than it was a month ago versus two months ago versus three. I think a lot of that has to do with the front loading and the necessity for banks to kind of get to neutral and maybe and maybe beyond. So I think it right. will be challenging. And I mean, just just sitting here today, uh, mid mid July, we'll get the U.S. Q2 GDP numbers at the end of the month. Um, Q1 was negative, and you can argue why it was negative because nominal growth was so high because inflation was high. So 
Uh, but but GDP, real GDP in the U.S. did print negative in Q1. And, you know, there's talk that Q2 could print negative as well. So depending on how you define recession, and it is a bit odd because nominal GDP is very high and the labor market is very tight. But the U.S. could already be technically in a in a recession. Um, hmm. uh, and, and we'll know kind of with some sort of certainty, depending on how you want to define it at the at the end of the month. Um but I think a lot of people are starting to bring forward their forecast for store growth slash recession to the second half of this year. We're seeing it uh, with a few of the houses, a few of the, few of the firms on the street. Um, I do think that we're going to be very low growth, if not recession, kind of in North America in the second half or over the turn of the year into early 23. And this brings up a really interesting um well, a lot of interesting things, frankly, but probably the biggest theme for the second half of the year, I think, is the notion that looking at 2023, the market is already pricing rate cuts, whether that's for here or the US um, hmm. or for uh, not necessarily Europe, although it's got the curve not moving as policy rate not moving as high and flattening out at the end of the year. So not cuts, sure. but but a pretty, but a pretty low, uh, but a pretty low tr- uh, uh, terminal rate. But this idea of Fed cuts and BOC cuts next year on the back of recession, I think, is very interesting and very important to markets because if that comes true, then that probably means one thing for risk assets and for the curve. If that does not come true, or at least the the shape is correct, but maybe the starting point's too early, it probably means another thing for risk assets and. And the shape of the curve, and uh, you know that is a that is a big deal. So, for example, the market currently has policy rates peaking here in Canada in December, okay. and the market currently has policy rates peaking in the U.S. in it's toggling back and forth, but between January and February next year. So it's very early, right? And so you're actually seeing rate cuts get priced in by middle of next year. So that's that is. That is something we spend on the fixed income team a lot of time thinking about and discussing. Uh, and it, it's very important because, like I said, it has probably different directionalities for for markets. Uh, what I think is probably going to happen is that inflation is going to be relatively sticky. And I know that probably doesn't come as a surprise. People that listen to this kind of once every, a month or you know, you we've been doing these 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 for quite a while. I've been relatively hawkish on inflation and central banks for you know since I would say Q two last year, and right. You know, I think we're in it. I think we're in it right now, and I think I think inflation, particularly core inflation, is going to remain not only elevated but sticky. It doesn't mean it can't come off the peak. It, absolutely, it can. But it's probably going to remain at a level notionally and um, stickier than I think the market is expecting. And if that Hmm. is true and central banks kind of pay attention and really want to stamp out uh, inflation, which I think they do, I don't think they want to make the mistake of the 70s or 80s. I also think they probably want to kind of recoup themselves from the the transitory stuff from from last year, which was obviously wrong. Um, Then that market pricing for next year in terms of what is being uh, you know what's being priced in from a from an easing perspective from a cutting perspective is probably wrong right and that means a more severe recession because rates are going to be higher for longer uh, it probably means at least in my space uh, 
continued flattening and or inversion of yield curves, which is something right. we've been talking about and, and looking for from a trading perspective for a long time. So, uh, so, so the recession question, which was your original question, I think is really, really interesting because it brings in, brings in a lot of things in terms of where the market's price, what it's expecting, uh, terminal rates, you know, asset class performance, that sort of thing. So I think it's really, I think it's really interesting. But I, you know, getting back to the the, the core of your question, I do think that central banks will remain hawkish. I think it probably means the risk of recession has has grown. The risk of a soft landing is going to be more challenging. And uh, you know, I think we'll see asset assets perform. You know, from a textbook perspective, you know, consummate. Hmm. Just to summarize what you said, just to make sure that I, I have it right. Um, likely or it seems like you're you're leaning towards the camp that a recession is either likely or certainly far more likely than it was um and in the context of a re recession central banks will fight inflation before they'll support the overall growth of the economy if inflation is still at hand is that fair i, th I think that's very fair that's good that's a good summary and i think that that yeah. you know and people can change people's minds can change and that that sure, change and, and we're looking we're looking for that Right. But one of the one of the things, you know, I know we've talked about a, a few times on, on these on these podcasts was this big change in Q1, particularly from the Fed. Mm -hmm. And you had that comment from Powell that basically said that we think the Fed thinks that inflation is just as destructive on I'm paraphrasing a bit, but just as destructive on uh, societies, uh, communities, the labor market long term as slower growth. Or at least mild, milder growth, or slower growth, or a mild right. recession, right. and that was a really interesting point in terms of mm -hmm. the lens with which the Fed, I think, was looking at markets. And I think that's, you know, that was probably January or February Q1 yeah. anyway. And you know, here we are, early Q3, and that you know that that lens is very much the case, not only for the Fed, but I mean, we saw it very much this week from the from the Bank of Canada. So I think, I think, I think that I think that's very accurate. Hmm. Um, you know, sort of another term for that environment sounds like stagflation, um, which has been yeah. sort of the the boogie word that uh, people have been been throwing sure. around. Yeah. Um, you, you've you've addressed specifically Canada in the U.S. Uh, in many or from many commentaries, Europe's in even worse shape. Um, yeah. Would you expect a similar fate in Europe? So I think Europe's in a really tough spot, maybe the more the most difficult spot. A lot, a lot of it's for obvious reasons. You know, the terrible situation in Russia, Ukraine. Um, rates are low in in Europe, and so it's difficult to kind of climb out of that hole. The deposit rate in Europe is still negative fifty basis points as we sit here uh, today. Obviously, a lot of other central banks have started started moving. There is an ECB meeting uh, coming up in the next in the next few days where. Where the bank will probably do something. The question is exactly exactly what it's going to do. But I do think that um, the terminal rate, you know, the peak in the cycle for Europe is is a little more challenging because of the structural issues that are there, and um, and I think that there are significant risks around higher commodity prices, particularly oil and gas, you know, inflows obviously from from Russia into into Europe that um, could could easily maybe not easily but could conceivably create a uh, stagflationary environment in in Europe uh, relatively quickly. So I, I do think that th they are in a tough spot and uh, you know there are there are some interesting and uh, 
you know, tra trades and, uh, and portfolio positionings that we, that we've done within the fixed income space to try and, you know, mitigate that, uh, mitigate and, uh, yeah, that, that type of exposure. So we could maybe chat about that later in the call. Yeah, great. Uh, look forward to that. Before we get to the portfolio implications specifically, I wanted to circle back on Bank of Japan. We talked about sure. it um, at, uh, during the previous podcast, I believe. Uh, but yep. Bank of Japan's a real outlier uh, yep. in, in what they're uh, doing there. Uh, right. Give us an update there. And, uh, and how are you feeling about Japan? So Japan remains kind of a really interesting story. Um, dollar yen continues to grind higher. Sometimes it's a grind, sometimes it's a gap, but just short of uh, 140 uh, this week, which is uh, I think a two decade a two decade high in the bank. The Bank of Japan continues to hold this yield curve control policy uh, in place, uh, which right. basically caps partic in particular the 10 year part of the curve, the domestic curve there at 25 basis points. And last month in June, there was a lot of discussion around would they dump it, uh, the yield curve control program, would they not? And we saw a really big gap between the futures market, uh, the JGB, the Japanese government bond futures market, and the cash market. Uh, that, that gap has since narrowed. I think the euphoria around that has since closed. And I think that's partially due to a few small, very micro tweaks that the bank made uh, kind of in the wake of its uh, June uh, meeting, but I also think that uh, the positioning became a little bit uh, a little bit stretched, and I also think uh, the bank has once again I, I wouldn't even say double down; I would say you know, quadruple down um, right. that that it, that the policy on the yield curve control program is not going away. The governor of the Bank of Japan is going to be um, his term goes through uh, April of next year, April twenty twenty three, and. Okay. I think that he does not want to dump this policy, the yield curve control policy, until after his term is over. What would change that, um, even with all the other, you know, pushing of global yields moving higher, I think would be if the inflation numbers in Japan domestically came higher. And right. the, the move higher in dollar yen, which is why I started off with that comment, is not insignificant. And I think the, the bank thinks that once at above 140, if we get there, and even and particularly around 145, that there could be enough imported inflationary impact that you could see uh, the national inflation numbers kind of uh, tick above and hold 3%. Hmm. And if that were to happen, I think that the bank would at least have a very good look, if not actually change the policy and maybe dump the yield curve control policy, um, because because inflation would be a little bit a little bit stickier and a little bit more permanent, a little bit more structural. Uh, so we're getting close, and obviously domestic prices and consumption matter there too. It's not just about the exchange rate, but uh, in Japan, I think the exchange rate takes on a, a an added an added weight versus other economies. So I we are getting to the point here at just below one forty dollar yen where. I think this is, I mean, it's already interesting, but I think it's getting really, really interesting. So right. uh, that's something that we're looking at as a team. And I think this 140 to 145 neighborhood in dollar yen, we're going to be watching for verbal intervention, physical intervention in the currency. And what, what, how exactly this all kind of transpires with the, the domestic inflation numbers, because I think that uh, now that people, it's, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, getting swung back and forth. And now that people are expecting that the policy, the yield curve control policy, to remain in place through the end of Kuroda's term, 
you know, in early Q2, 23, I think that the market doesn't appreciate the idea that somewhere between 140 and 145, it could actually help spark a change in policy. So it's something, right. you know, we're watching from a, from a global perspective. So that's, uh, yeah, something, something that we like. Perfect. Let's get into some of the positions that you're you're taking in portfolios based on your comments here. Um, a stagflationary environment is notoriously difficult for investors. Uh, there's for not sure. a lot of places to hide. Yeah. I'm curious curious about uh, how you're thinking about the portfolio and what you're currently looking at. Well, from a fixed income perspective, and and, and I would say that I, I you know just to be fair, I am looking for a you know a, a significant slowdown recession. Not quite at the stagflationary environment yet, and Fair it depends obviously how you how you define stagflation. You know what what level of inflation for how long, how low is growth for how long. So that's a bit of a that's a bit more of an art than a science. But sure. um, you know, can, can I see a scenario where we have lower growth and relatively high inflation versus what we're used to for the last two decades? Yeah, for, yeah, that's 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 I think a possibility for sure. But trades we like kind of going into that environment, and at least you know, you know, uh, existing with that environment. You know, we think again the yield curve is probably you know we've been looking for the yield curve to flatten and invert, which it has. You kind of looking at the, the just looking at the um, the Treasury benchmark, U.S. Treasuries as, as the benchmark. These two two tens have have inverted, right? Um, below below twenty, below uh, sorry, below minus twenty, below minus twenty five basis points. So you know, a good move there, and I think. I think there's more to go. Five thirties have flirted with uh, inversion, and I think I think they will. But it's it's very very flat. Only maybe three or five basis points here as we as we come into the call. So it's 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 very it's very flat. So that that directionality has been going, and I think that uh, the team is uh, you know becoming more comfortable with the idea of adding duration, uh, particularly at the long end of the curve. Um, kind of based on on that on that notion of what we're going to see or likely to see on uh, you know on the economic on the economic outlook, uh, not only from a growth perspective but also from an inflation perspective, uh, you know stickier inflation, uh, higher higher uh, terminal rates potentially, uh, a misprice in the easing of policy rates for next year, i.e. that that cutting that we were talking about. Uh, earlier in the call, uh, you know, might need to get pushed out. So I think that uh, further flattening and or depending where you are, flattening or inversion uh, curves, depending where you are on the curve or, or what re- what country region may make a lot of sense. So we like adding duration, uh, particularly at the long end. We like um, we like Europe having to make up for lost time. I don't quite mm-hmm. know how that's all going to come together because they've been very very steady and consistent and uh, forceful with their forward guidance around the July and September meetings. But I think there is upside risk to uh, the ECB uh, hiking rates versus what the market is currently pricing. So we like being short duration, given what right. I'm not, notwithstanding what I just said, but short duration, uh, particularly the short end of the, the European curve. So kind of like German two years at you know, 45, 46, 47 basis points, we think is a, represents good risk reward there uh, in particular. Another thing that we like, um, you know, I, I am not, I'm not an equities person and, and will not profess to be, but, um, you know, I think, I think global resentment could be in for a challenging time here. Uh, if, if, I'm, if I'm right or partially right or right on kind of the economic outlook, and the Canadian dollar typically does not trade uh, that well from a, um, 
uh, from a global risk sentiment perspective if things are if things sure. are declining. And that's one of the reasons I think we've moved pretty quickly here from 128 in dollar CAD to uh, above 131 uh, this mm-hmm. week. And I think that there is still upside upside risk there. And so we've had and continue to have what I would call uh, s- small small open hedge position, uh, long dollar CAD throughout here and continue to like those positions, even with dollar CAD breaking this infamous 125.30 range. It looks right. like it is going to, uh, you know, maybe dangerous to say, but I think it will hold this time above the top end of the range because I think the dynamic and the structure of how the global economy is 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 progressing is uh, is is a little bit different, a little bit more dire, a little bit more negative, for lack of a better term. And I think that's that's probably not great for the Canadian dollar on a net basis versus the U.S. dollar. So I think that you know we could continue to see dollar CAD move higher, so Canadian dollar depreciation versus the U.S. dollar. So we like we like those trades. Uh, options are expensive; their vol is expensive, so we're not necessarily playing it through options. Uh, we're just kind of playing it through open hedge ratios, and then the okay. other. You know, the other trades that we like, uh, continue to look at this JGB trade that we talked about last month and we talked a little bit about uh, kind of here, uh, you know, whether there's whether there's an opportunity or not. I mean, it's an interesting trade because it's a relatively inexpensive carry. Um, it's not, it's meaning it's not overly expensive to be short and fund it. Uh, and it's nice to have it on in case there's a surprise. Um, right. So we do carry a little bit of exposure there from a macro perspective, which I think is... Um, you know, which I think is, you know, interesting, but, uh, you know, we've lightened up a little bit versus where we would have been, uh, you know, before the uh, the cash market and the futures market, uh, you know, gapped. Those are some of kind of the big sovereign macro trades, duration trades, uh, FX trades that we, you know, we, we like and, and we have on in the portfolio. And, uh, you, know, you know, given the way we think uh, the economy and, uh, and, and central banks will uh, continue to, to move here in the next couple of months and quarters. Great. Well, Dustin, there's uh, more to talk about as always, but we'll call it at this point. Uh, thanks so much for, for coming on. Uh, your insights are, as always, very valuable, uh, and I look forward to our next uh, conversation. Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks very much for having me. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.